0: Today on Uplift, we are joined by Seth Gruber. Seth is the son of a Pregnancy Resource Centre Director and from an early age has courageously challenged the lies and deceit of the abortion industry head on, with the ultimate goal of saving human life. Seth Gruber's clear and persuasive approach has impacted thousands across the United States, empowering them to dismantle decades worth of pro abortion rhetoric and advocate for a society which recognises the dignity of each human life. Thank you for joining us here on Uplift today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. You were raised from infancy in the heart of the pro-life movement. Can you tell us why are you aware from a young age about the severity of abortion and did you always know that your mission in life was to fight for the unborn?
1: yeah well thank you catherine it's, it's good to be on with with your show and, and thanks for everything that uh you and your team do for life in in scotland Um uh, the i think the the fight for life is it's it feels intensified around the whole world um i think the overturning of roe v wade in america <clears throat> kind of had international ripples if you will and caused the pro-abortion I call them Moloch serviles and worshipers. But anyways, um, to to kind of start freaking out internationally, actually, um, just because of the the beacon right of hope and freedom that America still represents internationally, although it doesn't seem to represent that here anymore. But um, that's how people view the U.S., you know. So with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I'm sure the fight for life has been intensified um, in Scotland as well, and, and we're grateful for what you guys do. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've been a pro life activist since I was a fetus, and so my my mother was uh, the executive director of a pregnancy resource center um, in Southern California, um, in Los Angeles County, in the late 1980s, and like the very first one or two years of the 90s, and so I was born in 91, and my mother was pregnant with me um, through all nine months of directing the Pregnancy Resource Center. And so she only stepped down when she gave birth to me. And then I had two younger sisters and she homeschooled us. And I grew up kind of doing our Walk for Life every year and supporting the Pregnancy Center and had just a very um, strong pro-life family and mother. And then high school is kind of when it became my own and then college activism and the whole thing. But yeah, that that's sort of our family heritage and roots. But in terms of, of when I guess the, the fight became my own, uh, that would have been senior year of high school. And I did my senior project on the issue of abortion. You had to pick a topic, you had to write a paper, you had to give a speech, and you had to do volunteer hours in order to graduate. And this is in Los Angeles County. And the high school told me, that I couldn't pick the topic of abortion. Uh, they said that that was one of the topics we don't let students pick. So I threatened a lawsuit. I threatened to sue um, Whittier High School, um, which is actually Richard Nixon's alma mater. <clears throat> and they, they backed off real quick. <clears throat> um, they weren't prepared, I guess, for a homeschool kid who had uh, memorized the Declaration of Independence at 10 years old. And so um, Uh, they backed off i did my senior project on the issue of abortion and to make a long story short i volunteered at the center for bioethical reform um greg and lois cunningham are my godparents and they were the ones who originally started doing aborted imagery displays on college and university campuses around America. So massive photos of abortion compared to historically recognized forms of genocide to draw the comparisons that in each circumstance, the victim is denied personhood. The victim is dehumanized through euphemisms. And so uh, they started these in like 1990. I was born one year later. So in high school, I actually was scanning the aborted baby photos. Um, on their computer and high quality scanner to be used for their educational projects. And I was 18 years old at the time and I had actually never seen aborted baby photos um, even though I'd grown up in a pro-life family. So here I am for two days straight, December of 2009, scanning hundreds of images of mutilated, uh, emaciated, dismembered babies uh, killed between seven and 10 weeks old. So all the first trimester eyeballs, faces, noses, mouths, hands, feet, legs. And that was probably the turning point um, of my life. Um, I had never known how horrific abortion was. I think a lot of people know abortion's wrong, but I I think most people don't know how wrong. And I think most people have never had to look at what choice looks like. Um, And so just like when emmett till's mother requested an open casket after he was brutally murdered by racists in america um his photo was published around america and historians believe that that was actually one of the sparks to the civil rights movement in america because racism got a face and it was an ugly ugly face and americans were forced to look at what they were apathetic towards or complicit in Uh, similarly most people have never seen the face of abortion of of murdered babies it's easy to be pro-choice when you never have to look at what that choice looks like and so that was to answer your question was kind of uh at 18 years old was when i i was like oh my gosh and that, that was sort of when the fight became my own and that was uh uh gosh that was i guess 15 years ago so
0: That's amazing, what an incredible start to the pro-life work that you do. (laughs) Um, So the White Rose Resistance is an incredible initiative which is not just changing hearts and minds, but is also saving human life. Uh, What is the White Rose Resistance symbolic of and in what ways is it making impact uh, on the abortion culture war basically?
1: Yeah, so uh, yeah, we launched the White Rose Resistance right after the overturning of Roe. Um, so in June of about, well, about a year ago, but um, June, the end of June of uh, 2022. Um, although we had been, I had been working on it for, on um, the months leading up to the overturning of Roe of last year, but we publicly launched about a year ago. <clears throat> and it's sort of just the, it's, it's I guess my brainchild, it's just the, the, it's sort of the the birthing of, you know, over 10 years of pro-life activism and speaking and trying to mobilize the church. So I think it was kind of a propitious moment and Kairos moment. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of like another nonprofit. I think we have way too many nonprofits um, I think they do good work, but I think it's actually the church that should be leading the way, and it's the church that should be ex- accepting and adopting personal responsibility to end this Holocaust, and not waiting for five hundred one c threes to do the work that God has called the church to do, um, which is just Christianity one hundred one, right? Um, and so, but but I I I I I felt led to birth an organization that could have a greater impact than me alone could as just a speaker because i've been speaking on stages since i was 19 um and I'm, I'm 31 now and so um so we yeah we launched this organization just to have a bigger effect and i sensed the new kind of excitement um and hunger for action and righteousness in churches that i was speaking in and so i think this is the moment i think the the next few years will determine whether abortion meets a quick and brutal end or whether the battle is extended another 50 years, frankly. And so the White Rose Resistance exists to educate the public, discredit the opposition, and inspire a movement. But it's based off of the story of the original White Rose Resistance in Nazi Germany. And it's 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 incredibly powerful story. It's it's one of the least known but most inspirational stories from the Third Reich of Christian courage and Christian resistance. And um, I don't know how much you want me to tell of it, but it's it's about a, a bunch of 20-somethings, a bunch of kids in their 20s in 1942, who start writing, printing, and distributing anti-Nazi leaflets all around Germany. And they would stay up late in the night printing out these leaflets, explicitly condemning the crimes of the Nazis, explicitly condemning Hitler, and asking good people to wake up um it was a social media campaign (laughs) pre-digital age and they would take trains in the middle of the night and drop off their leaflets in major german cities they would graffiti german state-owned buildings um, with anti-nazi sentiments and then the nazis you know pissed off would come and, and paint over it the next morning and they said things like do not hide your cowardice behind the cloak of expediency um they would say things like if you know why do you not act? Um, they would say things like, we are the white rose resistance, we are your bad conscience, and we will not leave you uh, alone. And so their focus was to actually prick the collective conscience of the culture and awaken the church to action, to expose the deeds of darkness, to quote Ephesians 5.11. Um, they understood what Ronald Reagan uh, would later famously say that evil is powerless when the good are unafraid. Um, but but the good people are typically very afraid and running around with their tail between their legs, lest they offend the spirit of the age and his acolytes and serviles. Um, and so, the, the long story short, these twenty uh, somethings um, end up. Um, being hunted down and uh, assassinated by the nazi by the nazi uh, state by the third reich and hans and sophie Scholl, a 21 and 24 year old brother and sister um walk onto the campus at the university of munich on february 18th 1943 and they begin to distribute their leaflets throughout the university which you can visit today and there's a memorial to them actually <clears throat> while while the class is in session and the halls are quiet and then in this iconic act, Sophie walks to the third floor balcony at the University of Munich, and she throws an entire stack of their leaflets, three floors down to the atrium below. Well, the janitor, <clears throat> who was a committed Nazi, <clears throat> excuse me, guy catches Hans and Sophie in the act, calls the Gestapo on the spot and Hans and Sophie were arrested on February 18th, 1943. 21, she was 21, he was 24. Um, <clears throat> because of um, their actions that day and because they were arrested that morning, they, they, uh, they failed to show up to a meeting they had scheduled that afternoon in Munich, uh, a meeting that they would never make. And that meeting was with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, the founder of the Confessing Church in, Uh, Germany, uh, the leader of the Emergency Pastors League, who tried to wake up pastors in Germany to take action, um, who was arrested for helping smuggle Jews out of Germany uh, and was later thrown into prison for his involvement in the Valkyrie plot, the failed assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one of the most inspirational figures of the 20th century, uh, who had come to meet with Hans and Sophie in the White Rose resistance. So four days later, they were taken to the guillotine and they had their heads chopped off. Um, and Sophie at 21 years old spoke with more spiritual clarity um, and political clarity than most of the pulpits in Germany. Uh, and here, and I'll I'll end the story with uh, with this line. She said something in prison in her four days
0: <clears throat> that her
1: cellmate um, later recounted because her cellmate survived the ward was able to share Sophie's final words and moments with her family, and then of course later the world. Um, and Sophie, at twenty one, understood <clears throat> what we must understand today um, that. Um, I think it was Albert Einstein who said that um, the world will not be destroyed um, by the practitioners of evil, but by those who watch them and do nothing, by those who watch or encourage evil doing, um, but never stop it. Um, This is the Edmund Burke line, right? Um, All that's necessary for the triumph of evil. Um, is for good men to do nothing. Uh, Revolutions have never been a plurality or a majority of the country that they destroyed. They were always a small percentage of radically devoted revolutionaries um, who were willing to die for wicked ideas when the church was not willing to suffer for good ideas and for the gospel and for the rights of their neighbors. And so Sophie actually did not blame the Nazis. Um, she's asking the question. She was asking the question that many Christians are asking today in the West, which is, how did this happen? Um, why are pro-life sidewalk counselors being arrested? Why are parents who speak at school board meetings being described as domestic terrorists by the Eternal, Attorney General of America? <laughs> you know, why? Why did they burn down America in 2020? But if you tried to gather in your church and pray you were called a domestic terrorist or a granny killer or a super spreader because of a virus like like why are men having fake boobs wanting to read books to my children at the local library? Why is there porn in the curriculum that's disguised as scientific sex said? Like we're asking these questions in the West like how did this happen? Like what happened to the West that was built by Christianity that I knew? Uh, Sophie was asking a very similar question. How did this happen? 1942. I mean, Jews were already being burned and murdered for nearly three years. How did this happen? Where is the church? And here's what she said. She said, the real damage, the real damage is actually caused by all of those millions who just want to survive. The honest men and women who just want to be left in peace. Those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves those with no sides and no causes, those who won't take measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weaknesses, those who don't like to make uh, uh, waves or enemies, those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principle, they're just literature, it's just words. Those who live small, die small, she said. It's the reductionistic approach to life. If you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. But it's all an illusion because they die too. Those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues and a little candle burns itself out, just like the flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. People don't talk like that today anymore, especially not at 21, Catherine. Um, and that's, that's a young woman with the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring inside of her, um, who was willing to suffer for righteousness while most of the German church couldn't be bothered to even speak out against evil, much less do something to protect their Jewish neighbors. And so we're rebuilding the White Rose resistance for this generation against our silent but far more deadly Holocaust of abortion to build the army of Christian resistance that Hans and Sophie dreamed of, but never saw realized to end our Holocaust of abortion before it's too late. Because while rose blossoms may perish in the fall, they reappear in the spring. And while all of the members of the White Rose Resistance were found and executed, their sacrifice planted the good seeds of resistance in the hearts of millions, whose actions will keep alive the legacy of the White Rose. And so we're building a movement and an organization that mobilizes and awakens the church to exercise spiritual responsibility, to end abortion, and to push back and resist the culture of death where they live and where God has called them to exercise dominion until he comes. So we do church tours, university tours. We're working on a documentary, and film, we're hiring to mobilize resistance and action of Christians in their localities where they live to push back against the spirit of Moloch, to raise up a next generation of activists and speakers. Um, to finally bring about an end to this Holocaust. And so that's that's who we are at the White Rose Resistance. That's what we're building. Um, and we're, we're done um, playing nice. We're done pulling our punches. Uh, we're done trying to not offend uh, pro-life organizations um, who are not willing to mobilize and awaken the church. Um, pro-life organizations who sometimes, some of them are out there, um who actually i think sort of enjoy abortion being legalized because it it pays their checks and it keeps them uh it keeps it keeps them having a job um we're, we're done playing nice with evangelical leaders um who talk about pure and undefiled religion and the gospel while children are murdered in their city where they preach and evangelize and can't be bothered to save those children um, this is what resistance looks like. This is um, what people are calling the new Protestantism, uh, but it's really just the old Protestantism. It's the heritage of Christianity in the early church that was actually rescuing abandoned infants in Rome um, and raising those children as their own. Um, that was the early heritage of, of the church. the The first few years of the church, they were actually rescuing unwanted babies and raising them as their own because Roman citizens were abandoning infants out in the elements to be, to be eaten by animals or, or suffer because of um, hypothermia or hunger because they weren't the right sex or there was something wrong with them. Um, if we don't reclaim that early heritage of, of the saints who have gone before us, uh, we will ultimately be sowing the seeds of our own destruction because those who murder the unborn cannot be trusted to govern the born And those who murder the unborn will one day murder you, too, the longer that you tolerate the false religion of humanism, secular progressivism, Darwinism and the culture of death. So that's a uh, there's a long winded answer to uh, uh, who we are and what we're doing.
0: It's a very detailed but amazing um, response there, Seth, and fabulous uh, organization that you have. so the mission of the White Rose resistance is one that is incredible, um, but many do find comparison between the Nazi Germany regime and abortion distasteful. Pro-abortion um, activists say that making any connection between the two is insensitive and ultimately fear-mongering. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah. Great, great question, Catherine. I mean, yeah, people lose their minds, right? When you start, (laughs) when you start comparing abortion to any, any historic genocide, but because like, (laughs) because Nazism and the Holocaust is like the only historical event that millennials and Gen Zers know about because they were smoking weed or just, you know, having sex in high school, and never paid attention in history class. You know, most people my age can't refer to any other atrocious, atrocious historic event than hitler (laughs) like i don't know if you've seen like conservatives go into like you know metropolitan highly trafficked areas and ask just like anyone under 35 on the street like historical questions like our generation is just pathetic like we literally know nothing like you ask most millennials like who's mao zedong and they would go like, is that a video game? You know, like, it's, I mean, it's like, I mean, even even figures like Stalin and Mussolini, like most people don't even know these names. Um, it's it's pretty sad. So because like Hitler is like the representative of like evil for the left, even though they deny objectivity, which is hilarious, right? There is no truth, but also it's, it's true that Hitler's really bad, right? Which is hilarious. Um, any comparison to Nazi Germany just usually causes people to start manifesting their their inner legions and so we go out of our way to actually compare abortion um, to the holocaust because not only is it the same ideology uh, right not only is it the same kind of evil but the the relationships and ties between the eugenics movement in america and the nazi third reich eugenics movement um, are well-established and incredibly disturbing. <clears throat> and yet most people don't know these links. Most people have not studied these things. I, I can give a couple examples of those, and I, and I will in just a second. But, but the point I want to make is that is that when you deny that human beings have intrinsic dignity and value and worth, when you deny the sanctity of life and you say, well, Darwin, Darwin, survival of the fittest, You know, uh, we're just evolved animals. (laughs) And so therefore, like the animal kingdom, the strong will survive and the weak will die, right? It's a dog-eat-dog world. Some animals are at the top of the food chain. Others aren't. If you're not the strongest, sucks for you. Survival of the fittest, right? I mean, if Darwin was right and we're just animals, then we will inevitably live, eat. And, uh, well, for lack of a better crass word, um, reproduce like animals. Um, We will indulge every animalistic appetite that we have. And in order to ensure that our species survives and that the fittest and the strongest survive, we must either kill the weak or stop the weak from having children. Now, if... People listening to this think I'm some kook, and they don't know what I'm talking about. It just means that they have not studied history whatsoever. That eugenics, which means good in birth, and so that means some people are not good in birth, right? So there's certain genes that are good, and certain genes that are bad. <clears throat> and if you have bad genes, right? If, especially if you're if you're physically disabled, or if you have mental handicaps, or oh, God forbid, you might be. Um, you you might be a criminal or an alcoholic, you know, we should just sterilize you and not let you have children. I mean, this was happening all around the world. Okay. Like this is nothing new. This was happening in America. This was happening in Germany. This was happening in India. This is, this has happened all around the world where, where governments either to decrease population or because they wanted to create a master race like Hitler, um, chose which people to eliminate which people to sterilize to prevent them from having kids and which people to incentivize to have children. Uh, and so when you detach human dignity from the fact that we're merely humans, when you deny that there's a creator, and so therefore human beings have value because their value comes from a all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful deity and God who keeps your very heart beating, you deny that, man simply becomes God. And so there's there's now no more limiting principle to evil. Man can do whatever he wants. Uh, this is why some of the more famous atheists um, will 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 actually credit Christianity correctly. So by the way, um, for providing the human rights that we take for granted in the West. So so most people who hate Christianity wouldn't want to live in, in a in a country without Christianity. You know whether whether you like or detest the idea of God or not is actually beside the point that religion provided the religious and philosophical foundation for the political laws that have granted you the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom to bear arms, um, uh, laws that protect children and the family, laws that protect us against unjust oppression, laws that protect your very right to life. Um, Christianity built that. Um, that worldview, that, 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 new, um, that new way to view human beings, not as instrumentally good, but as intrinsically valuable. Prior to Christianity, um, basically every society in the world practiced human sacrifice <laughs> and killed their own citizens. If, if it struck their fancy or if it granted them more political power it was christianity that came around and said no actually human beings have a right to life and they have a dignity and value that is wrapped up simply in the fact that they're human beings not because of what they could do or how they perform but simply because of what they are human beings image bearers of god And so it has to be said for the leftist, kooky, pro-abortion demon worshippers that we're contending against, you may hate the idea of God. You may hate Christianity and their, their obsession with fetuses and protecting unborn babies. But it was that religion that gave you the right to spout your crap and nonsense in the public square in the first place. Absent of Christianity, you would just be thrown into prison or gulags or killed for the kind of crass that you're pushing on the children and the family. So it's just, it's just incredibly ironic and that should always be said. But what, once you detach Christianity, you can just do whatever the hell you want. This is why Francis Schaeffer, uh, one of the most incredible sort of um, theologians and cultural prophets of the 20th century, said that humanism is the placing of man at the center of all things and making him the measure of all things. In other words, <laughs> I shall be as gods, to uh, to, uh, quote the serpent in Genesis 3. You shall be as gods. You can just live however the hell you want. And and whatever makes you happy, do it, right? What's the sexual revolution say? If it feels good, do it, right? You're not accountable to anyone. You're not accountable to any sky god. You are your own god. Do whatever the hell you want. Well, that religion of humanism caused international chaos and bloodshed in the 20th century. Thanks to Margaret Sanger. Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, uh, and let's mouse uh, it More innocent blood was shed in the 20th century alone than in all of human history before 1900 combined. A lot of people don't know that. Um, more innocent blood was shed between the year 1900 and the year 2000, in 100 years, than in all of human history before the 20th century combined. Um, that is a religion. It just ain't Christianity. It's the religion of humanism. It's the religion of self. It's the religion today we call secular progressivism. But but that movement was building prior to Hitler uh, and prior to Mussolini. Uh, in the early 1900s, you get a group of revolutionaries um, in New York City in particular. Um, You get the Socialist Party in New York. You get the co-founder of the ACLU, Roger Baldwin in New York. You get Margaret Sanger in New York in the early 1900s, who start to get radicalized. But Margaret Sanger becomes far more successful than any of her sort of political predecessors and their their revolutionary attempts to, to usher in communism socialism and she is of course the founder of the american birth control league later renamed planned parenthood and the links between her organization and the eugenics movement she was a part of in america and hitler and the third reich are well established and incredibly disturbing for example one of margaret sanger's board members was named lothrop stoddard lothrop Stoddard. And uh, Lothrop Stoddard was a a high official of the Massachusetts KKK, the the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Lothrop Stoddard wrote a book called The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. Uh, So, yeah, he was afraid about black people. Uh, because he wanted a white world <laughs> reigning supreme. <clears throat> he wrote another book called the the Menace of the Underman. The Menace of the Underman. So who's the underman? Well, according to to Lothrop Stoddard, blacks, Jews, <laughs> Slavs, Italians, anyone that he defined as unfit to live or unfit to reproduce. Lothrop Stoddard, again, a board member of Planned Parenthood when it was founded. When it was founded. Lothrop Stoddard then goes on a journalistic uh, speaking tour, interview tour in Nazi Germany in 19, thir- between 1938 and 1939. And he actually interviews uh, Hitler. Um, he interviews uh, Heinrich Himmler. Um, who was the Nazi propagandist in case you uh, your listeners don't remember that. Um, and he interviews other Nazi officials uh, like Fritz Saukel and Robert Ley. Robert Ley was uh, held the highest rank attainable in in Nazi organizations. He was very close to Hitler um, and Robert Ley committed suicide while awaiting trial at, for the Nuremberg um, hearing. Um, so you've got a board member of Planned Parenthood going to Germany and meeting with Hitler meeting with Heinrich Himmler, meeting with Nazi Party officials. And I believe that that um, Lothrop Stoddard is the only American, or maybe one of two, to have actually sat down and interviewed Adolf Hitler. So yes, guys, you just heard that correctly. One of the first board members for Planned Parenthood is one of the only Americans who actually got to sit down and interview Hitler. But with the with the agreement that he would not publish um the the um the script uh in the transcript of that interview so he talks about meeting with hitler in his book uh, but he wasn't allowed to actually print the transcript of that interview and so he wrote a book about his nazi journalistics uh, interview tour and it's called into the darkness nazi germany today you guys can go fact check me on this one into the darkness nazi germany today published in 1940 by planned parenthood's board member lothrop Stoddard. Now, Lothrop Stoddard was later referred um, to by a German race anthropologist named Hans F. Gunther. Hans F. Gunther. So this is a German anthropologist, not an American, not an Austrian. This is a German race anthropologist who later called Lothrop Stoddard quote, one of the spiritual fathers of Nazi Germany. (laughs) <laughs> one of the spiritual fathers of Nazi Germany giving credit to the board member of Planned Parenthood for providing the kind of inspiration for Hitler's Third Reich so that that's one example I could go down this rabbit hole with you for another 30 minutes. we probably don't have the time but um it gets a lot worse than that okay uh, you had Mad- you had a uh, Margaret Sanger sharing office spaces with the American Eugenics Society. Um, when she opened up the American birth control league. Once again, that was before it was renamed Planned Parenthood in 1942, after the Nazis gave the term eugenics a negative connotation. And because because Sanger's uh, American Birth Control League was so obviously wrapped up in the same eugenics movement in America, she had to change the name of her organization, which had too many uh, noticeable ties to eugenics. She changes the name to Planned Parenthood in 1942. What a convenient date you choose to rename your organization to deflect criticism of her involvement in the eugenics movement. And so um, her friend who was leading the American Eugenics Society with whom she was sharing office spaces with was named Madison Grant. And Madison Grant wrote a book in 1916, um, the same year that Margaret Sanger opens up her first illegal birth control clinic in New York, her first illegal birth control clinic to try to get people she didn't want reproducing to get on birth control so she could control the population and reproduction of, of of classes that she thought were what she called human weeds and defective stocks that prevent the blossoming of the finest flowers of American civilization, end quote. That's to quote the founder of Planned Parenthood, human weeds and defective stocks. Um, and so Madison Grant writes this book in 1916, um, and he has explicitly attacks Christianity. Um, and for their their stupid views on the sanctity of human life uh, and he said that the that the sanctity of human life was what prevented the elimination of defective infants and the sterilization of such adults who are of themselves of no value to the community he said the laws of nature um, require the obliteration of the unfit and human life is only valuable when it is of use to the community community or race. Uh, His book, written in 1916, called The Passing of the Great Race. Well, when Hitler was in jail uh, after his failed coup attempt in Munich, he was writing fan mail to Madison Grant and other American eugenicists. And Adolf Hitler called that book that I just quoted from, The Passing of the Great Race, he called that book his Bible his Bible. And much of the writings of Madison Grant and the leaders of the American Eugenics Society, again, who were sharing office spaces with Margaret Sanger and her American Birth Control League, provided the very political inspiration for the kind of Nazi eugenic laws that would be on the books in the Third Reich in the next few years. So those are just a couple little rabbit holes there and insights into why pro-lifers actually make the comparisons that we do because in each case the government had defined a certain class of human beings that's unfit to live as undesirables or to quote the nazis lebens leben which meant life unworthy of life life unworthy of life well the the way that american eugenicists today have rephrased that term is unwanted unwanted pregnancies, unwanted babies. But if you can kill born people for failing to meet certain criteria or litmus tests for personhood, then why can't you kill the unborn? Why can't you kill the elderly? There's no limiting principle to humanism and eugenics. It's always been an attempt to make man as God and to define certain classes as human beings, as unfit to live and undeserving of life itself. Because if we can do that, then there's no end to our political project. And maybe that was always kind of the point.
0: Interesting. Uh, thanks for that Seth. Um, there's a lot of food for thought there but I can't say I'm surprised. the <laughs> Links to Margaret Sanger's. Um, so last year the US overturned Roe v. Wade which was a monumental day for Manny. Can you explain the cultural battlefield surrounding abortion um, what that's now like for you in the US and what sort of challenges are you facing in promoting a culture of life over there?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we overturned Roe v. Wade just shy of 50 years of that decision. So 1973, um, Roe versus Wade, and then Roe v. Wade gets overturned on June 24th, uh, 2022. Um, so you know, almost 49 and a half years of Roe v. Wade before it got overturned. Um, and the American left lost their mind. Um, you had pro-abortion domestic terrorist groups <clears throat> like uh, Ruth Sent Us, which is a hat tip to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Who was the most pro-abortion supreme court justice in american history bar none? and then you had another pro-abortion domestic terrorist group named jane's revenge jane's revenge which is a hat tip to jane roe roe v wade jane roe um the plaintiff in roe v wade which is actually um um just the uh the legal name for norma mccorvey um who was the the plaintiff in roe versus wade who actually never got an abortion uh, later became pro-life and spent the rest of her life trying to reverse the decision that bared her name. So you get these two pro-abortion domestic terrorist groups, <clears throat> Ruth sent us and Jane's Revenge, who start actually having riots around America. They start walking into churches and disrupting worship services on Sunday mornings or Saturday masses. Um, they start uh, strutting around and jiggling around half naked uh, on the steps of the Supreme Court. Um, they start playing their music. Um, they start threatening pregnancy centers. They physically deface and vandalize uh, over a hundred pro life ministries in America. Um, they firebombed and burned down several pregnancy resource centers and pro life ministries who lost their their um, entire office space and um, all the assets inside because they were firebombed and burned to the ground. Uh, but our attorney general in America, of course, had no interest in investigating. Um, those uh, examples of domestic terrorism or seeking to arrest the people behind them. Oh no, he's very focused on the moms and dads speaking at school board meetings um, and raising their voice just a little bit because they're pissed off about the pornographic gay porn that's masquerading as public health and scientific sex ed in America's public schools. And our attorney general in America opens up a domestic terrorist um, investigation into moms and dads speaking at school board meetings. So, I mean, I know things are out of control with the left in, in the UK as well. Um, but here here in America, um, I mean, we're just as bad, if not worse, um, absolutely disgusting. So what's my point? And my point is this, <clears throat> abortion is the sacrament of the religion of humanism. And so when, when you go after their sacrament, they lose their minds. They start showing how demonic they are. Uh, abortion is kind of the linchpin Uh, upon which the liberal establishment swings. Uh, But what happens when you take out a linchpin? The door falls off. Um, And that's what happened when Roe v. Wade got overturned. The the door fell off and the left lost their mind. Uh, And so that's a little bit of the cultural landscape in America. Um, Pro-life sidewalk counselors started getting arrested by our attorney general and the FBI. About over 11 pro-life sidewalk counselors were arrested by the FBI from about September of last year. Um, through maybe February of this year. Um, I mean, literally like FBI armed loaded guns showing up at these people's homes and arresting them in front of their family. Most of them got returned home the same day or the next day because it was just our federal government um, flexing their tentacles to send a message to the post Roe v. Wade pro-life movement that you better remember your place, you domestic terrorist pro-lifers. You better not pose a threat to our political regime. Um, I mean, the madness here is absolutely insane. You can burn down the country in 2020, burn down major American cities because of St. George Floyd or systemic racism or or some some nonsense. And none of those people were arrested or thrown into a D.C. jail. But if you spoke at a school board meeting or you were trying to save babies outside an abortion center, then the federal government was showing up unannounced at your house and arresting you in front of your children. Um, Why, why, why? Because abortion is the sacrament of the religion of humanism, that's why. Um, This is why Peter Kreff, the Catholic philosopher, put it succinctly when he said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy, holy words this is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. So Christ says, this is my body broken for you, taken in remembrance of me. Not ironically, the humanist revolutionaries that worship Satan say, no, this is my body, my choice. And I'll kill whatever's inside of my body because the serpent told me I'm going to be like a God. Uh, it, uh, abortion, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, It's the antithesis gospel. It's the inversion and perversion of everything that Christianity represents because Christ says, I must die so you can live. But abortion says, no, you must die so I can live, baby, right? And then of course, ironically, Jesus comes as a baby, as a fetus in a womb that he once knit together to redeem mankind from their sins. So why does Satan hate babies? Why does the left hate babies? Because 2000 years ago, it was a baby that came to defeat him. Right. So, I mean, like, it, like the, the spiritual realities of this fight are just so obvious to anyone um, who's grounded in, in the Judeo-Christian worldview and certainly anyone that is saved and redeemed and a Christian. Um, and so that's why they lose their minds, because it's actually like a religion for them. And guess what? Child sacrifice to live longer or improve your own life also has a very ancient historical religious track record Um, near almost every civilization in human history had practiced human sacrifice and most of them were sacrificing human beings children and babies to what pagan deities except in america we deny the existence of pagan deities because the god in america is the god of self the god of money, the god of education, the god of my career. Uh, but Satan doesn't care what name you call him; he's still happy to accept your your child sacrifice worship. Uh, so, so that's that's the cultural landscape in America now. With Roe v. Wade getting overturned states have started to ban abortion or significantly curtail what they call abortion rights because roe v wade had taken that legislative authority out of out of the people's hands at the state level now states can ban abortion um and this is this is a, a actually a wonderful litmus test for uh, Republican GOP candidates in America, that if they're not gonna run on a platform of abolishing abortion, um, they should not be treated as serious contenders for political office. The reason we're in this position, in America in particular, with losing our political rights and a Republican party that is largely a joke is because we've avoided the fight for life for so long. right? I, 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 unless the conservative movement makes the complete and total abolition of abortion their highest political priority, we will one day wake up and find that there's nothing left to conserve a-, a conservatism that cannot conserve the very right to life of human beings is not conserving diddly squat and any temporarily won victories will just will be just that temporarily won victories that will later lose again because we're not dealing with the core issue the core issue being do human beings matter do human beings have a right to life Are human beings even valuable? (laughs) Are we more valuable than animals? And if we are, should we protect all human beings or only some human beings? Um, And unless we protect all human beings, we are forfeiting all of our other rights we've taken for granted. The the right to life is the fundamental right. It's, It's the right from which all other rights flow. And because we've tolerated child sacrifice through abortion for so long, we're experiencing the deterioration of all of our, our, all of our other rights as well. Because those who murder the unborn cannot be trusted to govern the board. If you can't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. right? So um, that's the future of the pro-life movement and, and really what should be the conservative movement um in america and our organization is focused on mobilizing the church and christians to take action and stop waiting for politicians to do the work that god has called the church to do yes the church has to be involved in politics um, but we should also be treating this as the holocaust that it is and saving these children outside of the doors of death called abortion centers where today our administration arrests pro-life sidewalk counselors who try to contend for the rights of those children um, and if, if they're going to come for pro-lifers who are simply exercising their right to free their right to free speech and their first amendment rights in america they'll come for anyone who poses a threat to the political regime in America?
0: Yeah, I think people are seeing that. And in the UK, the pro-life movement is advancing, but we still have extremely, you know, lax pro-abortion legislation. And just recently, there, a couple months ago, uh, Parliament voted to criminalise silent prayer in the privacy of your own mind near abortion clinics. What is your reaction to that? I'm sure you've seen Isabel Vaughn-Spruce, who had been um, arrested for that. And why do you think pro-abortion activists are so desperate to shut down and censor any pro-life person in our society?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, because it was an alternative religion. I mean, I, I saw that clip. Um, I saw the woman who was uh, who was uh, arrested or threatened with arrest for for silently praying as she stood outside an abortion center and, and people were sending it to me and we thought it was fake news. We thought it was maybe just like, uh, uh, you know, a fake story or something because it seemed so beyond the pale. It seemed like so ludicrous, but I mean, that's just leftism today, right? The American left is ludicrous. They are living in la la land. Um, they have lost their freaking minds, um, but you should not treat stupid people who hold stupid ideas. Uh, um, and conflating them with lack of zeal. Um, these very stupid people with their very stupid ideas <clears throat> will still contend for those ideas with more zeal and unction than most Christians will def- will um, d- uh, contend for pure and undefiled religion. Uh, the left is far more zealous for their wickedness than most Christians are for righteousness. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that clip is just kind of representative of I think the spiritual nature of of what the the abortion fight always was. here in America recently, um, our most um, successful um, news personality, Tucker Carlson, was recently fired um, from Fox News. Uh, He's the most successful and viewed um, TV political commentator in American history. Um, He made Fox News a lot of money and then Fox News fired him. That doesn't make business sense. There's nothing about that that makes sense in a capitalist economy. Um, Why would they fire him? Uh, And he didn't know he was going to get fired because he ended his Friday night show saying, we'll see you on Monday. And then he got fired. Well, what happened that weekend? That weekend, Tucker Carlson gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation Uh, gala in America. And in his speech, he said, I can no longer make sense of the culture war in America and the leftist totalitarian humanist revolution absent of religion. I can no longer make sense of our division in America over these cultural issues without infusing a religious perspective into it that's what he was saying he's saying none of this makes sense unless you understand that man is fundamentally a religious being and that these people are operating off of religious principles you know he said in his speech he said you know when the when the head of the State Department in America comes out and says uh you know how you can help the economy get an abortion and and he said, you know, well, that's that's like an Aztec priority, actually. That's an Aztec priority, uh, right? Sacrificing human beings to improve your economy <laughs> and your community. <clears throat> and so he finishes his speech by saying, he says, as an Episcopalian, he says, one of the most bankrupt theological traditions and denominations in America. He says, as an Episcopalian, I'm telling you, you know what? Maybe you should pray. Maybe you should pray and take five minutes out of your day every day to just pray, pray for the country, pray for these issues. And he got fired the next day, the most successful television political commentator in American history. Why? Well, we learned from one of our uh, conservative commentators and here is in America, Glenn Beck, who had used to work for Fox News that the president of Fox News had always been asking Glenn Beck to not talk about God and not talk about prayer. That he hated it when his commentators at Fox News talked about God. Well, the same man fired Tucker Carlson. What's my point? When you get down to fundamental spiritual realities, the dividing lines in America become very clear and the dividing lines in the West become very clear there is no way to explain the firing of tucker carlson absent of a religious perspective there's no way to explain the arresting of a pro-life sidewalk counselor in the uk silently praying outside an abortion center absent of a religious perspective uh cardinal manning once said all human conflict is ultimately theological all human conflict is ultimately theological. All of these culture war issues eventually come back to fundamental theological and religious debates, ideas, and precepts. We can't get away from that because we are fundamentally religious beings. We come from God, we 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 are created by God, and we can't help but function in the way god intended us to function which is what as eternal religious beings of course you remove god and and man just tries to shove other religions into that gap but they still function very religiously that's why the uk government would go and say we're going to arrest you for praying that's why tucker carlson would get fired for daring to use his platform to tell americans maybe you should pray to god five minutes every day because when Politicians, well, I guess we'll put it this way. Nothing causes politicians more fear than if the people they govern know that there's a God and their politician is not him. And that they have duties and responsibilities to their creator from whom they come and to whom they will stand before one day for how they live, how they speak, how they spend their money, and how they steward what God has given us. When we live like there's a God that we're accountable to before politicians, before prime ministers and presidents, nothing causes more fear of these would-be totalitarian revolutionaries than that. All human conflict is ultimately theological. And until we recognize that and live in the light of that, I'm not sure the church in the West ever will wake up and usher in a new revival, until we return to those things that we used to know.
0: Mm, wow. Um, and you mentioned uh, the Christian leaders who, you know, are too comfortable, or might not speak up or for fear of offending those in their congregation, or that they might alienate them. What advice would you give to religious leaders on the best way to integrate pro-life advocacy into their sermons?
1: just preach the Bible. I mean, for goodness sakes, the Bible says that uh, the Bible's given us all we need for life and godliness. Uh, I have no patience and I have no um, compassion. I have no compassion, no empathy, and no patience with pastors who say that they're not political and that they don't preach on abortion because that's a political issue and they just preach the gospel. Yeah, well, you know what God had to say to his people when they were practicing child sacrifice? He says, "Um, yeah, so I'm going to cut you off from among the people. Um, you and any of you who follow after those people in whoring themselves after Molech. Um, He says in Psalm 106, you've sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons. The land is desecrated with blood. And so I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Um, The Bible talks about how our prayers can actually be hindered um, if we're not loving the orphan and the widow. Um, Well, the baby in the womb is an orphan, um, not because their parents are dead, but because their parents want them dead. The orphan, we can't bring their parents back, but the orphan in the womb whose parents are trying to kill them, we can still save. That's a life we can still save. Um, For pastors to refuse to speak on these issues or preach on these issues because they pretend to not be political is, is cowardice of the highest order. Uh, And by the way, cowardice uh, is actually, the cowards are actually described as some of the first ones um, who will be sent to hell in Revelation. Um, It has all these like horrific sins that we all agree are horrible sins, but the first one is actually the cowards. Um, This is cowardice of the highest order. Nothing causes God to be quite so animated and riled up in scripture than when his people are killing babies than when his people are passing babies through the fire to Moloch and Baal. So the question for the American pastor or the, the, the just the, the, the pastor period is, is a simple one. Um, does God see any distinction or difference in the value between unborn children and born children? Does your creator see any difference in the value and right to life of human beings in the womb and human beings outside the womb? Um, if he doesn't, then you are just as cowardly and apathetic on the child sacrifice of, of abortion as god uh rails against his people in the old testament for being involved in the sacrifice of babies already born and so in luke one <clears throat> um, uh, we have the you know the prenatal john the baptist doing backflips in the uterus uh because mary goes to visit her cousin elizabeth they're both pregnant so you got you got baby jesus in the womb you got baby john the baptist in the womb And so that's God in the womb because that's the creator in the womb. And then you got the baby John the Baptist in the womb starts doing backflips in the uterus because he recognizes the humanity and divinity of his creator in Mary's womb. Well, the word, the Greek word used when it says the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb is the Greek word berephos, uh, B-R-E-P-H-O-S. Berephos is the Greek word used to refer to baby. When it says the baby, the berephos leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Then you turn to Luke 2, uh, Jesus is born, and it says, Mary laid baby Jesus in the manger. Mary laid berephos Jesus in the manger. The authors of scripture use the same word to refer to a baby in the womb as they used to refer to a baby outside the womb. Berephos, John the Baptist, leaping in the womb, and berephos Jesus that Mary lays in the manger. If the Uh, authors of scripture wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so all of scripture is divinely inspired and authoritative, inerrant and infallible then I'm sorry, pastor, but you just have to deal with the reality that your creator who keeps your very heart beating sees no distinction in value, dignity, and right to life between babies in the womb and babies outside the womb. But you as a cowardly, apathetic pastor who only speaks as much truth as the spirit of the age allows you to, lest you lose your tithing of your registered progressives who don't want you to end abortion. You pastor are discriminating, between babies who have value and babies who don't have value. Babies that do deserve political protection and babies that don't deserve political protection. Every pastor who says they don't preach against abortion because they're not political because they just preach the gospel would all tell you that if Scotland started murdering two-year-olds, they would be outside of every center that kills two-year-olds trying to rescue those two-year-olds every pastor who doesn't preach against abortion would tell you that if they were killing six month old babies he would be mobilizing his congregation to try to go rescue those six-month old babies but he's never lifted a finger to stop the killing of babies in the womb in the very location that his savior entered human history in to redeem mankind from their sins jesus takes on fetal flesh and identifies with you from your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. If that doesn't tell you what God thinks about life in the womb, I got nothing else for you, Christian. I got nothing else for you, Pastor. Your savior who breathed out the freaking Milky Way chose to become a fetus in a womb to redeem you and give us new life. That is how significant life in the womb is to our Lord. And if you can't preach against that, to quote my hero, my earthly hero, Pastor Jack Hibbs, you have surrendered your pulpit, you've abdicated your authority, and your mantle has fallen off.
0: Mm. Wow. (laughs) Goosebumps. So, Seth, in your early years, you built the Students for Life organization at Westmont College. Standing against the pro-abortion culture, especially for a lot of young people, can be daunting and at times a dangerous mission. Do you have any advice for our young people on how to be most courageous and if and an effective advocate for life here in the UK?
1: I mean, to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, do and dare what is right, not swayed by the whim of the moment, bravely take hold of the real, not dallying now with what might be, not in the flight of ideas, but only in action is freedom. Um, Only in action is freedom. If you want to experience freedom, and you're a young Christian who's concerned with the culture you live in, just take action. Don't wait for marching orders. Don't wait to feel like you're sufficiently equipped before you start speaking out against and dealing with the issues of our day. Just take action. Speak the truth. Don't repeat lies. Find how you can push back stand outside of abortion centers, plead for the life of the child in the womb, vote the correct way, criticize your pastor if he refuses to deal with these demonic issues in our culture, tithe and give generously to pro-life ministries, but just take action. Far too many Christians are waiting for some organization like mine to show them how and what to do. And yes, we should have organizations doing that. Amen. But don't use that as an excuse to not take action. Um, As you begin to push back and exercise authority and dominion, against these wicked ideologies and wicked people that push these ideologies. You will find the courage that you need to stand in a day like today. We're missing out on the greatest adventure. If we would simply take action and each individual exercise his personal responsibility to expose the deeds of darkness, to call lies lies and to preach the truth, the whole world would look very differently um, because To quote Ronald Reagan one more time, evil is powerless when the good are unafraid. And when the good are unafraid and they're willing to lay down their lives and their sacred honors and to not love their lives unto death, everything changes. When we live in the light of eternity and recognize that our lives were never our own anyways and we have responsibilities and duties to our king, that is the greatest fear of the secular, moral, revolutionary, liberal establishment today because they've always hated Christianity. They've always hated the idea that there's a God that they're accountable to. And this is why they take the Bible out of schools. This is why the Bible's the only book that's not allowed in schools. This is why they challenge the constitutionality of teachers who talk about their faith in the classroom. Anything that poses a threat to how they mobilize and deceive the next generation um is the very thing that we should therefore be doing so uh you can check out my podcast unaborted at Seth Gruber uh unaborted with Seth Gruber we do weekly shows there we have a YouTube channel we're on social media as well our website is thewhiterose.life thewhiterose.life my website is sethgruber.com you can follow our organization there check out the podcast to get equipped to stand but don't wait for Catherine or me to tell you what to do look where there's a need take action and you'll discover the greatest adventure that God uses obedient people who take action.
0: Thanks so much, Seth, for joining us. I really, really do appreciate that, and I'll hopefully see you soon. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Uplift. Tune in again soon.